They were conquered. They were exiled. And then they are now, in the section we're looking at now, being returned and resettled into the land. And through all this, we've seen a common thread in God's message to his people. And the message is this. I am still here. And I hope that that message is sinking in and getting through to us, that I am with you. I am still here through your darkest hour when hope is rising in the process, as we saw last week. I am with you. I am still here. What does our Lord Jesus say in one of his final words as he's resurrected from the grave and before he ascends to the Father, he turns to his disciples and he gives them marching orders, but then do you remember how the Great Commission ends, he says, remember, I am with you always, right? even to the end of the age. And so this promise that we're seeing in the Old Testament and in this period of time, it is for us as well, as those who walk with God and are filled with the Spirit. God is with us. And so we have three more weeks in this series, weeks that we're going to spend in the books of Ezra and Esther and Nehemiah. And so if you would open to Ezra chapter 4, if you have a Bible, uh, if you don't, I'll be putting some of the scripture on the screen as well. You can find it in your phone, Ezra 4. And today we're giving attention to an uncomfortable truth, but an unavoidable reality of what it looks like to live for God in any age, and that's the reality of opposition. There are those who stand against, who resist, who oppose faithfulness before God. And yet God says, I am still here during opposition. I am with you in the midst of opposition. And so if you're able, uh, please stand as I read from Ezra. I may not have given you enough time to find it. I know it's one of those books that's harder to find, but I'll read this for us corporately. Ezra 4, beginning with verse 4. These are summary verses, and as I read them, no, they actually, four verses, they actually cover a hundred years of history. From five, uh, in the 530s all the way down to the 420s BC in these four verses. And so this is Ezra chapter 4. The peoples around them, these are the people of God being resettled in Jerusalem and in the towns around Jerusalem in Judah. The peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. At that point, they were building the temple. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And at the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, that's a third king in the line here, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Bishlam and Mishradath and Teb, uh, Tabithel and the rest of the associates wrote a letter to Artaxerxes. And the letter was written in Aramaic script and in the Aramaic language. And I won't go on to read the letter, but the letter basically says, look, Artaxerxes, these people who are rebuilding Jerusalem, make them stop. Make them stop. It's bad for you. This is God's word. It's, it's describing 
the opposition to the work of God and the faithfulness of his people. This is God's word, and it still stands for us today. So thank you, Lord. Help us, God, as we seek to understand not just this text, but this, this theme of, of opposition. Help us, Lord, as we seek to understand your word in its depth and its wisdom. Help us, God, more than understanding in our minds. God, help us to love you with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole strength. Help us to follow you in whatever we may face. Because you are worthy of all glory. You are worthy of our whole lives. You are worthy to know and love. And so help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're moving furniture around up here. I don't have anywhere to put my Bible, so I'm separate here. We are going to have a different pulpit eventually here as well. But anyway, there's a tension that we're going to encounter today. A tension that's in the scriptures and it's a tension in our lives. And I'd like to draw attention to the tension here right from the outset. And that's this, that we read the word and we can see in the word the goodness and the beauty and the purpose of God in all creation. We can see people made in the image of God and imaging forth his his majesty, his power, his goodness in their lives. And that perspective can frame our understanding of the world in a certain way. With this perspective, we care for the world. We, we love people. We have warmth toward the world. And, and then if you begin to dwell on the promises of God and what he says to those who know him and love, right, the world is filled with, with beauty and potential and life. The world is being restored. And that's that's in the scripture. It's right here before us. But then we can read this same Bible and encounter persecution and encounter the depths of evil and hardship. We encounter, uh, the scripture says, the, the devil prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We, we encounter the world as dangerous and opposed to God. The same scripture. So which is it? What kind of world do we live in? Is it a world is the world a good place, resounding with beauty and grace and filled with people who image forth God? Or is it the stomping grounds of the evil one? marred by sin and rebellion of people to their maker, is the world not the way it's supposed to be? Which is it? So like, like most existential questions, right? Questions of being and purpose. Like most big questions, the answer is complex, and the answer is yes. Yes to both things. To be faithful to God's word, we are called to live in this tension. And the tension comes right up into the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and the period of rebuilding in the 500s and the 400s B.C. And the, the text I read highlights some of the opposition. And we're going to look and focus at, on opposition today. But I want us to remember here right at the outset how God turned the hearts of these kings, kings who did not know him, kings who did not know the law, kings who were not Jews, but God was turning the hearts of King Cyrus and and Darius and Xerxes and Artaxerxes for over a hundred years to show grace and kindness to his people. 
generosity to his people. Favor shown to the Jews that uh, they couldn't have manufactured. God turned the heart instead of Cyrus and allowed the people to return. And so as we read opposition, we're also seeing just incredible mercy in the hearts of pagan kings. And so I'm highlighting this tension here at the beginning because as we study opposition, I, I want us to hear not everything is opposition. And more importantly, in the face of severe opposition, in Christ, we are not an oppositional people. Do you, do you catch the distinction? Do you know what I mean by that? To be oppositional is to be defined and motivated by what we're against. Can you identify with that? Could that be you? Defined and motivated by what you're against. I don't believe it's spiritually healthy to live with a lens on the world that says, everything and everyone's out to get me. And yet, that's a temptation in the church today. It's a temptation in this polarized world. And yet, we're not called to be on the offense against people, but against the powers of darkness for people. Even when others truly are, there are times when it looks like people are against the work of God. Even then, we are for them, for salvation, and against the powers of darkness in this evil world. And so I've been asking God to help me preach about opposition in a way that doesn't encourage us to take any oppositional stance toward people, because that's not God's heart. And so even though opposition is normal, opposition is expected, we are not to take on the spirit of opposition in response. That's revenge, right? You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. But the Lord, I mean, the Lord has a different call, a higher call, the way of Christ. Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who harm you, do good to those who mistreat you. Those words still stand for us today. They are power for us today, and, and that way, though, let's recognize we can't walk in that way. It's against our flesh without the Spirit of God filling us and transforming us. And so what is this message from God during opposition and the challenges that arise during all types of opposition? What, what does God want to say to us? I believe he wants to speak his same message, the promise, I am with you. I am still here. I am judge. My grace is sufficient. I will supply the strength and, the, and all else you need in the midst of opposition. I am with you. And so let's uh, turn to some of these passages in Ezra and Nehemiah. And because every step of the way in this process of returning the hundreds of miles from from Persia, Babylon, then Persia, down into uh, Judah, they were met with obstacles and heartbreak that came alongside of joy and fulfillment. And we're going to look at three broad types of opposition that the people faced. And I want us to see that in every challenge, in every type of opposition they faced, there was a vital first step that God called them to. Okay, so three broad challenges, three broad types of opposition. And the first is the most obvious and maybe the most expected as you're listening. And that is the, 
the challenge of an external opposition. This is when we encounter resistance to faithfulness from people, laws, spiritual forces outside of ourselves, outside of the community of faith. And this came to no surprise to the Jews in the passages. When, when they returned and they aimed to rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem, they knew they would face opposition from the people. They knew they, they, this was not going to be an easy road, that there were all around them did not want their flourishing. And so they were swimming upstream, as it were. And the passage we read in Ezra 4 summarizes pushback over a hundred years during the reigns of four different types of, four different kings. And I hope you heard it earlier. The resistance wasn't from Persia. It, it was from the people surrounding Judah. And here are some of the words. I'm going to summarize them from, from Ezra and Nehemiah that describes this type of external opposition. Work against frustrate their plans, stir up trouble, ridiculed, incited, insulted, fought against. This, this external opposition was verbal, it was physical, it was institutional, which means using the laws or authority to oppose the work of God. And I want us to hear that verbal physical, institutional opposition, this wasn't special to this period of history. It's happened before then. It happened after. It happens today. It happens in our country. It happens throughout the world, as, as many of you know, directly, experientially, external opposition. And we can take all this in. We can tell stories and read all the scripture and take it all in. And, and the temptation is to get oppositional or aggressive against people. And I want to say again, we do have a struggle, but it's not with people. God tells us the source of the opposition, and it's in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The, the devil himself schemes against the flourishing of God's people in his way, stirring anything up that he can that would result in the stopping of the glory and the renown of God. And it happens in small ways and it happens on the large scale. We know it personally. If you walk with the Lord, you know it personally how the evil one schemes to draw us away from the Lord through accusation, through shame, through deception, believing lies. Do you, are you believing something which is not true, which is not of, the, of God's word? A lie about yourself, a voice in your mind that is tearing you down. But that's a lie. It's a voice of accusation. And it's not of the Lord. That's opposition to faithfulness of God. If Kelly and I want to be assured that we're going to be distracted, we, we say, let's sit down and pray together. And then inevitably, like something, come, you know, something will rise up in us or in, in the, in, in the uh, environment. Something's going to rise up to try to come into that place and say, no, 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 no. Don't pray. And so, 
happens in small ways, individual ways, daily ways. This opposition from spiritual forces of darkness happens on broadly. The powers of this dark world are, put, are stirring up in every generation. Don't think we are unique. In every generation, systemic lies and oppression and cruelty and violence. Every place, every generation struggles against their own version of cultural subversiveness and attacks from spiritual forces of evil. This is the reality of what it means to walk with God who created us, that there is, there is opposition outside of ourselves. And so what is the response? There is a vital first step I'd like to highlight. And it, it came through Zechariah the prophet. We looked at Zechariah 4 a few weeks ago. This is in Zechariah 1, which he spoke in 520 B.C., right at the beginning of the process when they were facing opposition. They started to rebuild the temple, and he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Before anything else, alongside anything else, our response begins and continues with a relationship with God. But, but how am I going to face this opposition? Don't, don't we need courage and standing firm and faith and wisdom? And don't I need you know, uh, winsomeness and, and, and power and all these, everything else? Resources to stand up against opposition? Yes, 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 yes. But what comes first? What is primary? Return to me in the midst of it. Return to me. And the movement towards God releases our control and it results in prayer. The fruit of returning to God is prayer. Prayer. And so that passage we just looked at in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the armor of God, the struggle against spiritual forces. And then it says, put on the armor of God, which is, you know, breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth. We're putting on the armor. But we often stop at the end of that passage in verse 17. Verse 18 of chapter 6 in Ephesians says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. We have that passage as well. Uh, we put that up. Prayer is, is, is the way that we respond when we're returning to the Lord. We're releasing control. We're making Him first. And He leads us to be praying. That's the first fruit in the face of external opposition. We pray. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Let's not forget prayer, the fruit of returning to the Lord. Prayer. By faith, we ask God, intervene. By, by faith, we keep on praying. Did you catch that Zechariah was kind of repetitive? The Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. Three times in that one verse. Do you know the Lord Almighty? That's the Lord of hosts. The Lord of the angel armies. The Lord who fights for his people. The Lord who alone is uh, worthy of power and, and, and majesty. The Lord who is strong. The Lord Almighty. Do we think we alone can stand before the powers of darkness? No, I hope not. It's the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the angel armies who stands with us. And so he says, pray as you're returning to me. What's going to be a fruit of returning is prayer. Prayer, Lord, help. And we ask him to move and drive out darkness with his glorious light. Lord, help. 
In the face of opposition, the Lord says, I am here, so return to me. I long to help you, so return to me. That's the first step. Turn to me, pray to me, rely upon me, because I'm with you. I'm with you. That's external opposition. You have a whole series on that, I realize. But the first step, return to the Lord. He's going to lead us to pray and not rely on our own strength. And I wish we only had to face external opposition. But if we're honest with the scriptures and honest with ourselves, there's, the truth is that there are also challenges from among us in the community. Community challenges. The community itself can present resistance to what is true and good, resistance to ushering into the shalom, the peace of God. It's a lot easier maybe and more comfortable to identify opposition. Opposition is out there. Right? And those people are in that, in spiritual darkness, it's out there. But we have to be honest about the resistance and the challenges we face among us. And what do those challenges look like? In Haggai 1, uh, I referred to it briefly last week, Zerubbabel was the, the governor at that time, and he was attempting to motivate the people to do what God had sent them to do. And they replied, the time hasn't yet come. Like they replied, we'd rather spend our time on our paneled houses and in our towns, and we don't want to do what we know God called us here to do. And the rest of that chapter in Haggai 1 is the Lord's perspective on the peoples dragging their feet, thinking about themselves instead of the work of the Lord. This is a challenge of vision, of faith, of self-focus. The community itself was opposing God's work by their own lack of desire. Another example, 80 years later in Nehemiah 5. Nehemiah's, uh, the temple has been rebuilt at this point, and Nehemiah is helping to rebuild the city, especially the walls. And verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 is hard to read. It says, in the midst of this rebuilding effort, in the midst of all this movement and good stuff, chapter 5 says, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. And what was happening, if you read on, the nobles and the officials were fleecing the poor with high interest rates. And the people who were doing the labor couldn't even afford to pay back what they had been lent and were having to even sell their own children into slavery to pay back the, the debt that they owed. Among the people of God, this was happening. And I know that happens in parts of the world even today. This is heartbreaking the challenge of greed on the impact of the people as they're trying to move forward. This is happening. People taking advantage of one another. And the list goes on. Why do we have most of the books of the New Testament? <laughs> because Paul was responding, not in everyone, Paul was responding to challenges the church was facing. Challenges over ethnic issues, over theological issues, over the best way to apply the message of the word and over political, even socioeconomic issues. Any of these things sound familiar? Does any of that still go on? Relationships are hard. Even when we share in the one faith, the one God, the one baptism, 
Relationships are hard. And so I want us to see opposition. Don't, let's not be so filled up with pride that opposition's always out there. No, opposition is among, among us. And what is the Lord's message to us? There's a vital first step. And he says, return to me. Return to me. The Lord Almighty, the one who knows you, the one who created you, the one who forms you, return to me and I will return to you. And, and in that returning, just as when we're facing external opposition, it leads to prayer. In that returning, there is a reorientation. Ah, oh, this is what's most important. You are what's most important. Your glory, your kingdom, your ways. That's what's most important. There's a reorientation that happens when we return to the Lord. Paul's writing in Romans 14 and 15, and the church is battling over issues a communal challenge, and he says, let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. That's what they're fighting about. It's a little broader than just what are we going to have for dinner, right? It was what can we eat, what's, what's holy to eat. But do, hear, hear this, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. In other words, we prioritize bringing glory to God through the way we treat one another the way we love one another. And that's more important than being right. That's more, we do not destroy the work of God for the sake of money. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of convenience, for the sake of what we've always known. Of whatever it is, do not destroy the work of God. Return to me, reorient your hearts and minds on what is eternal and not on lesser matters. Because I'm still here, I am among you drawing you into the same salvation. And so we, we encounter challenges. We, external opposition, challenges in the community. And then I know it's raining hard, but I'd love you to focus. Because this third one, this is a challenge to focus. But this third is the key. And I, did, I could have started here, but we're going to end here. Because this, this third one, it gets really personal. I thought the last one was personal. No, this, this, is, this ties together the first two. What's often our biggest obstacle to our faithfulness in the Lord? I've, we've danced around it a little bit, but it's internal resistance. Okay, that makes it sound a little academic. It's sin. My sin. Your sin. Our wandering, our easily tempted, our quickly distracted, our self-reliant, self-righteous, our, our moralistic hearts chasing after being right or chasing after what is false or destructive, even when we know and haven't experienced the love of God and the joy of God and the, the, the peace of His ways, even when we know that, the temptation to go the other way. Our sin is in opposition to the purposes of God. And now it's close to home, really close. If, you were, if we were able to push away all the other ones, right, this one, there's no pushing away, unless you say you're perfect, and I hope you don't. So if we, if we can't see our sin, if we can't repent of our sin, we will never have the wisdom or the spiritual resources to resist any other type of opposition. This is why this, this, is, this is key to all opposition we face. We have to be able to own up to our own brokenness. 
And so how many times have I opposed the Lord's desired faithfulness in my life because I chose cowardice over love? How many times have I chosen um, selfishness over mercy or anger over grace or hurry over patience? My sin undercuts my willingness. And this one, I'm really trying to grow in this area. My willingness to step outside of my own comfort for the sake of proclaiming the kingdom of God in word and deed to those who I may not even know. It's easy in here in a sense, right? To those who I may not know, stepping out of my own comfort zone in word and deed to proclaim the kingdom of God. My, my own comfort, my own fear gets in the way. And so sin is all over Ezra and Nehemiah. It's all over the whole scripture. And we already saw it in their infighting, but there are other examples. When Ezra returned in 445, so this is like 70 years after the initial return, longer, um, he encountered the people who returned marrying folks from all the different peoples around them, which isn't an issue in terms of ethnicity or anything like that. The issue was that they were bringing in all the gods of all the people as well and saying, oh, it's okay. You can bring in your God, and I'll bring in my God, and we'll all just be one big happy family with lots of gods. And that's an issue. <laughs> no other gods before me. If you've heard that from the Ten Commandments, there is one God. We worship one God. But Ezra was encountering the people saying, ah, well, she's beautiful, so I'll take her four gods. The story is in Ezra 9 and 10. In Nehemiah 13, he was dealing with leaders who did not know the law, or pursue um, or good of the people. They were pursuing their own convenience and pleasure and wealth. The, so the leaders were dealing with their own sin and the people's sin throughout this. And the New Testament makes clear to us that sin begins in unbelief. Sin begins when I say, I believe my way is better and that God can't satisfy or take care of me. That's the root of sin. I don't believe your word, God. I don't believe who you are. That's the root of sin, unbelief. And so I end up choosing the way of my own desires instead of the way of the Spirit. And sin creates distance between us and the Lord. Sin opposes God's glory. Our sin, unredeemed, leads to death. Our sin, unbelieved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, leads to death. Romans 3 says, in case you're trying to avoid this, all have sinned, past, and currently fall short of the glory of God. All. All people. And so what is the vital first step? Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Return to me and I will return to you. And the fruit of this returning is repentance. It's repentance. It means I turn from my sin and I turn to God. And there's, a, there's an initial repentance when we come to faith. And then there's the, 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 the practice and the discipline of repenting and turning to sin so that times of refreshing may come, as Acts 3 says, I believe. As we return and repent, guess what? Praise God. He has given us the remedy for our sin, the lasting healing for our sin in the person of Jesus Christ. God has given us the remedy because this Jesus has stood in our place 
This Jesus has received the punishment that we deserve. This Jesus has conquered the power of sin upon the cross. This Jesus has conquered the power of death, which is the fruit of sin, upon his resurrection. And as we return, praise God, we find this same Jesus standing there with open arms, calling us uh, to himself and saying, you are welcome here. I have died for you. I love you. I have known you since before time. This same Jesus, full of mercy, glad for our turning to him. And thank you, Lord. And so when, when we are overwhelmed by our sin, aware of our sin, at whatever stage of faith you may find yourselves, the answer is the same. Turn to the Lord. Return to the Lord, and we'll find our Lord Jesus there. His grace is sufficient. And so when we believe, not only are we forgiven because we have died with Christ, we are united with Christ in his life by the Holy Spirit, and just as we're going to celebrate in baptism, dead to Christ and alive with him forevermore. And that is the grace of God. And so by grace, by God's grace, even the most insidious opposition, even the opposition that could never be overcome before, the internal resistance of my sin is being overcome in Jesus Christ. The guilt is forgiven. The shame is covered. The distance is brought near. The, the power of sin is removed. And so one day soon, and this is our hope, one day soon, even the presence of sin, the temptation of sin, will be gone forevermore. And that is the promise of Scripture. When, upon the Lord's return, that even, even the very presence of sin is gone forever. Praise God. And so let, let's review. I mean, there is opposition to faith. If you, if you long to live a holy life, you will face persecution. You will face opposition. Opposition out there, opposition among us, opposition within us. It's always been there, and until the Lord returns, it always will be there. But God has a message for us, because the opposition is not the whole story or the end of the story. The message is, I am still here. I am right there with you, no matter the strength of the opposition. I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. And so return. Return. Pray to me. Return. Reorient yourselves to me. Return. T repenting of sin. Return to me, and I will return to you. And so, Father, help us uh, to be a people that are quick to turn from our sin, to, pe to be a people who are not oppositional against people, but who who uh, pray without ceasing against the spiritual forces of evil. Lord, help us to walk with you because we know that in Christ we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and died for us. We thank you for your promises, God, and we pray that you'd strengthen us to face whatever we might face and to face it with our eyes on you because uh, you have equipped us for that very purpose. And so, Lord, we love you, we honor you, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.